We're so glad that you are taking time to listen to this week's message from Bethel Worship Center. Uh, we pray that it blesses you wherever you are in your faith journey. Uh, we do want to let you know that we are open. Our campus is open. Uh, we invite you to go to bwccamden.com. Uh, you can find out everything that we're offering right now at this time and in this season. So make sure to, to, to go there and find the ways that you can stay up to date with everything happening at Bethel Worship Center. But again, uh, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you are uh, exploring more about faith, learning who Jesus is, learning about God, uh, you're new in your walk with Jesus Christ, or you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, we pray that today's message blesses you, it encourages you, it equips you. So God bless you. Thank you again for taking part. You can go ahead and go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to jump there in just a moment uh, as we go into, into God's Word today. Uh, last, last summer, my family and I, we went on vacation in, uh, up to Tennessee, um, hadn't been there in a while, and we decided on one of our days, uh, you know, things were limited in what you could do, so we had to do a lot of, find a lot of socially distanced things that we could do. So we decided to take a little trail up a mountain, you know, and fortunately, this one wasn't that, that bad of a thing. So me and my family, we started this little hike. I brought some images with us, and uh, we're going up the trail. You can see some going off-road. Uh, there on the side, uh, kind of in the middle of the screen, the others staying on the trail. The trail did get a little bit more narrow as the, as the hike went up the mountain. They say that uh, the harder the hike, the better the views. Now, this hike wasn't but about maybe a mile, somewhere around in there. I thought the view we had at the end of our hike, you can put that next image up there. I thought that was a pretty good view, you know. I enjoyed that view, beautiful view there, looking out over God's creation and, and things of that nature. So I was content with my around a mile hike to get that view. Uh, I, I don't know about you, I am not a big hiker. Uh, um, I, I think it goes back to the fact that when I was a younger boy uh, here, actually, if you didn't know, I grew up here at Bethel. Uh, I think I was only gone for about seven years, four of those in college, only four, and then two more. Not that it's bad that you go more, but, uh, and then two, I was at a church part-time in Columbia, and then God just brought me back here. There was knowing, deny, no denying the way that God brought me back to Bethel. But I grew up here, so as a young boy, I went, uh, they took a group of boys from Bethel to Table Rock in the upstate of South Carolina. And I don't know if you've ever been to Table Rock, but they took us there, and we went on a hike up, uh, up the mountain of Table Rock. And I, my brother actually had, a, uh, they videoed all this while it was going on and he had that put on a DVD. I, I got it from him and I watched it this week. And I wish I could have found everybody that's in that video and got permission from them to share their image on, uh, <laughs> this morning. It was hilarious to see the excitement that started out in that journey. And then about a quarter way, halfway, three quarters of a way, all the way up to the end, watch the excitement just wane. You know, I mean, it's just, oh, this is getting difficult. This is getting tough. And one of the most hilarious things was one young man at the end, when we got to the top, I don't even think he went, it's like you got over the top and you knew you were there. And then you could walk a little bit further to see all the views and the lake and pond that was down at the bottom and the mountains out of the side. My man just collapsed right there at the end of the trail. And you look, his eyes are closed and this look of disgust is on his face. It was absolutely hilarious. I think it epitomized what all of us were thinking, right? <laughs> uh, so that's, I think that's why I don't like hiking because I was abused through it uh, as a young boy. But uh, <laughs> anyway, 
you know, most of us don't really like difficult things, if we're honest. We don't like going through things that bring us pain, uh, that, that cause us to face struggle, that cause us to have tough times. Most of us don't like that. Those who do like pain and do like tough times, we call you weird. Uh, just, it's just abnormal that you like difficulty and you like pain. But pain and struggle, tough times, unfortunately, these things are inevitable. They're going to happen in our life. And in fact, if there's one thing we all have in common, it's tough times. We all go through something. Now, I understand and I believe that there are, di- there are varying levels of difficulties in life, right? You may go through things that are a little bit more difficult than what I go through. I may go through things that are a little bit more difficult than what you go through. So there may be varying levels of difficulty, but the fact remains we all go through difficult things. We all go through tough times. Another fact remains is that sometimes we might have to change our definition of what we think is a tough time. Because sometimes everything we call a tough time in, in life is ending isn't necessarily the case. I don't know if you've seen some of these images, memes. I brought some with me this morning. For example, this right here. This might be frustrating, but that's not, life is not ending right there, okay? When that pops up on your phone, I mean, I understand, oh my goodness, you know, life's not ending. But here's another one. Um, the Wi-Fi is free, but it's too slow. Yes, that's difficulty. That, or that's, that's frustrating, but life's not ending. How about this one? Maybe you can relate to this one. You're staying with your relatives and they don't know their Wi-Fi password, right? This is just driving you up. How do you not know your Wi-Fi? I wrote it on a piece of paper somewhere. I just don't, I don't know where it is. All right, so yes. All right, how about this one? This one's frustrating. I said extra foam on my pumpkin spice latte, right? I mean, it, yes. I mean, I can drive you crazy. They didn't put that on there, but... Life is not coming to an end, I promise you, just because you didn't get your extra phone. Okay. But in reality, we do face difficult times, right? We do face struggles. And it may be something that we face because we brought it on ourselves, right? We may be feeling the consequences of poor decisions that we made in our own life. That might be why we're going through the difficulty. Maybe the difficulty we're facing is not because of a decision we made. Maybe it is because of something else someone else did, and we are experiencing the consequences from it. That does happen, and that can happen. I think there is something we do need to pay attention to on those lines, though, because a lot of times people will be more, they will be susceptible to play the victim rather than accept responsibility. So we do need to be careful to make sure we differentiate and know which one is the case. Sometimes we do need to sit and say, did I, re- did, did I make a decision that's causing this? Or is it really someone else that did it that's causing the difficulty? Because if we can't figure out the two, we're going to have a hard time going forward and healing. And then there are things that no one did that we, all, that we feel the effects of. The greatest example of that is what we've been facing the last year and two months, and that's COVID. No one in this room brought COVID or had anything to do with COVID happening, but we're all feeling the effects of it. We're all having to go through what's taking place because of it, right? But our journey in our faith can also have different aspects of it and different levels. In fact, Scripture speaks to this. It says that we go from faith to faith. 
So there's different levels in our faith. One of those levels is that newfound faith, that new faith that we have. You you know, you can think of it as kind of like that new car smell. You get, if you've ever gotten a new car and you got that smell and you're, you're excited because this is a new car, it's going to run right. It's not going to have any problems. It's not going to be, it's going to, you know, everything's going to be great. And in fact, when that new car smell starts waning, you go buy you an air freshener that says new car smells. You can put it in there and keep thinking you got a new car, right? But this is that, that new faith where you're excited in that faith. You're confident in your faith. It's where you, you can feel the prayers that you are doing working. You can see the, uh, the benefits of obeying God in, in, in your walk with him right now. There's joy and there's gratitude in your life in the faith that you have. But then all of a sudden something happens. You kind of hit a wall in life or something takes place. Going back to what we just said, it's either something from a decision we made, something else someone else did, or something that was beyond any of our control. And this happens, and now our faith becomes challenged. We enter this level, we enter this level of challenged faith. This is where fears begin to emerge. Doubts begin to happen in our life. We wonder if our prayers are making any difference. We wonder if there's any benefit to obeying what God is, is leading us to do in any way, shape, or form. We, we don't have a lot of joy right now. So our faith is challenged. But here's the thing about challenged faith. Challenged faith can lead us to this next level of faith. Challenged faith can lead us into, it has the potential to lead us into a living faith with God. A faith where we are abide, where, where, where our faith abides in him and God. And it remains strong regardless of the circumstances that we face. It's, it's that faith that James talks about. James, an early apostle of, of, the, of the early church, an apostle of the early church. He was the brother of Jesus himself. When James wrote these words in James chapter 1, verse 2, this is living faith. This is abiding faith. When he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. And when our faith is challenged, it's hard for us to consider that circumstance an opportunity for joy. But when we, when we walk into a living faith with Christ, now when these circumstances arise, this is what James is saying. We don't look at this as something that life is ending. We look at this and say, here's an opportunity for joy. Here's an opportunity for God to begin to work, for God to do something in me, for God to do something through me. So over these next few weeks as we're together, I want us to look at and consider a couple of things. I want us to consider how we get through what we're going through matters. When we go through situations, we often ask the W questions, right? Why am I facing what I'm facing? We have to define what the struggle is. We ask, when am I going to get out of this situation? We ask who is responsible for this situation, but how much focus do we put on how we are going to get through that situation? Because how we get through the situation, how we get through the struggle matters. How we respond to the struggle will set the trajectory for our path going forward in the struggle. How we respond and how we get through is very important. You know, as we go through this, I want us to look at a situation, very famous account in the Old Testament of a situation that happened in the Israelites' 
life. That's why we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning and a couple other areas in Exodus. But I want us to see what took place in one of the most difficult seasons in their life. And they had a lot of difficult seasons. And a lot of their difficulties were brought on by things that they did, decisions that they made. Some were brought on by things that were outside of their control. But to set the background for where we are here, the Israelites are in Egypt. They're there because years before, God had led a man by the name of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, and led him into Egypt through a series of unfortunate events. You may know the story. If you don't, you can read it through Genesis. Uh, Many chapters in Genesis lead uh, show you the story of Joseph and how he gets into Egypt. But basically what happens is Joseph has the wisdom to decipher a vision to give direction of what's going to take place when a famine hits and how to handle that famine. And so because Joseph has this wisdom given to him by God, Joseph is placed as second in command in Egypt. And because Joseph, an Israelite, is placed in second in command, he's able to welcome all the Israelites into this land with them so they are protected during the famine. Well, the problem is that years passed and now leadership has changed in Egypt and they don't care about any of that stuff from the past. The Israelites have now become slaves to the Egyptians. They're living in a horrible situation. Life is not what it was and life is not what they want it to be. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you felt that way before. But in this whole time uh, as well, there's a situation that's arising and the Israelites are growing in numbers. The Egyptians don't like that, so they're having them murder all boys who are born to the Israelites. Well, one family protects their child, their boy who is born, and that is a boy by the name of Moses. And Moses ends up actually being rescued on a river in a basket by Egyptians. He's raised with Egyptians. But as Moses grows older, he begins to understand, wait a minute, I don't feel like I'm like these guys. I'm different. I feel like I'm more like this. And Moses actually protects an Israelite one day and does something so extreme to the extent that it causes him to run off and hide and get away from where he is. And this takes us to where we are now in Exodus chapter 3. It's a very famous passage. You've probably heard it. You've probably read it before. But Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses has gotten married, and now he's just a shepherd. The priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And he came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, from within a bush. Anytime we typically see fire throughout the scripture, it is a symbol of the presence of God. So what's happening is Moses is walking up to this place and he is in the presence of God. So Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This intrigued Moses. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Just like any male Probably in this room, we see something weird. We're going to walk a little closer to try to figure out why is this weird? What's going on here, right? But when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And we wonder what Moses' reaction is, but uh, that, that makes him say it two times. I don't know, maybe that's just the way God does it. But Moses said, here I am. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses had an education. He had an understanding of who this God was, who Yahweh was. He had heard about the God of the Israelites. And he knew something about this God. And then I want us to to, to focus on what it says here. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. I want us to, to, to take a look at what God is saying right here. What he's expressing to, to get the point to Moses that I'm about to do something for them. Look at what he says again in verse 7. I, he says, I have heard them crying out. This is how the Israelites responded. This is showing us how the Israelites are responding to the situation that they are facing in Israel. What are they doing? They're crying out to God. So I don't know how you treat your Bible or what you do in your Bible, but this is a great thing to circle, to underline. If you use a a device to highlight, put a note somewhere by crying out, this is the right way. This is what we should be doing. This is what we need to do. In the midst of our difficult situations, in the midst of the struggles that we face, how do we respond to it? We begin to cry out to God. But I love this phrase here at the end of this verse. It says, God says to him, I'm concerned about their struggles. I'm concerned about what they're going through. That should bring us such great peace this morning because the God of this word is a God that never changes. If he was concerned about the Israelite struggles way back when in these years, he is concerned about your struggle today. He's concerned about what you're going through and what you're facing. And I love the fact, I love to think about this fact from this verse when we're seeing this. Do you realize that the Israelites are in Egypt and they are crying out to God, God, bring us deliverance. God, rescue us from this situation. God, get us out of what we are facing. We came to Egypt to be rescued from a famine, but throughout the years we've been put in this place as slaves. God, rescue us from this. And they have no idea that he's doing just that. God is working behind the scenes of their cries, talking to a man named Moses to get the ball rolling on their redemption and their rescue. God's working when they don't see it. He's working when they don't realize it. But they keep crying out and God is concerned about their struggle. So, God sends Moses. Moses answers the call. He's a little skeptical how it's going to work, but he answers the call. He goes and God partners him with Aaron and they go in and they begin to face Pharaoh and they want to, to, to free the people of Egypt, the, the, or, uh, of the Israelites from Egypt. And he begins to build trust with the other Israelites. And he goes and he talks to Pharaoh. And after Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go, God begins to work 10 different plagues that you've probably heard about. And after the final one where the firstborn is killed, if the sacrificial blood is not covering the doorpost, Pharaoh, when he lost his son, tells him to get out. And so their rescue begins. And if you skip over to Exodus chapter 13, I want us to see something in this Exodus. 
Maybe you've seen this before. You've pondered this, but let's remind ourselves that that's the case today. Asus chapter 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Now stop there a second. I don't know about you, but when I'm going somewhere, I like to go the shorter, quicker route. In fact, there's times when me and my wife have discussed which way is the shorter and quicker way. And sometimes, believe it or not, we're like this. Okay? We love each other. We really do. But if we're ever driving separate, we may say, you go that way, I'll go this way. And let's find out which one is actually the shorter and quicker way. All right? That's, you know, we, we, I mean, that's, it's just fun. But I like the shorter, quicker way. So when I read this and I see that God rescues them, and rather than take them the short route, he takes them the long way, I'm sitting here thinking something's messed up with God's rescue route. And I wonder if the Israelites are thinking the same thing. Wait a minute, shouldn't we be going this way? You wonder who's in the back of the line. Why is everybody turning that way? It's quicker this way. But God had a reason for rescuing them the way he did. If we keep going to the next verse, it says, for God, or, or if we keep going in it, it says, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. So they're armed for battle. They think they're ready, but God knows what battle they're ready for. God knows what they can handle. And he knew they weren't ready to fight the Philistines yet. Although they would face that at some point down the road. But they would face it with a young man who had been prepared by God for the battle. God knew if they went around that corner and saw the Philistines in that moment, they would just tuck tail and run right back to Egypt where they were. So God sent them on the desert road. But how many of you know that when you're being rescued, you don't want it to be a desert situation? But here's what the Israelites learned and here's what we often learn in life. Even the path of rescue can be a place of challenged faith. But that challenged faith is growing us. It's working in us. So how are we responding? How are we getting through the struggle? But here's what they saw as they went through this desert. Over these next few few passages, we see in Exodus chapter 13, 21 and 22, we see that God leads them with a cloud by day and a, and a fire by night. God is with them. He is performing this way to lead them and direct them. In Exodus 14, 21 and 22, we see, this is where we see the Red Sea miracle. We see God part the Red Sea so that they can escape the Egyptians coming back to get them because they had buyer's remorse in letting them go. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 25, we see that God turned salt water to fresh water so that they would have something to drink. And I want us to note that the Israelites weren't chasing miracles to see these miracles. They were following God. When we follow God, miracles follow. That's what we have to believe. 
So as their, as their faith is going, though, their faith, as they're going in this journey, their faith is continuing to be challenged. Even, even them seeing these things and seeing these things happen, they become numb to what God is doing. And now their response all of a sudden changes. Who wants to see that in Exodus chapter 16? Starts verse 2. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled or they complained against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They're crying out to God to rescue them from that place when God does. And it's not happening the way they wish it would be happening or they thought it would happen. They now begin to complain. They, were, they, they, they sat around pots of meat and ate all the food they wanted there in Egypt. But you brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. They can't see God's hand working even though they've been following a cloud by day and fire by night for God to, to, to remove them, even though they've just watched the Pharisees drown in a, in a, or the, the, the um, Egyptians drown in a Red Sea chasing them, even though they've seen salt water turn to fresh water, even though God just delivered them from the Egyptians when no one's heard of that. They're complaining now because they don't have everything they want. So again, in your Bibles, you can circle, underline, or highlight, they grumbled, they complained, and put a little note by that and say, the wrong way. Now, if you know the scripture, because God is a loving God, even in the midst of their complaining, he, he sends manna and he sends quail for them to eat. But as we go throughout this whole journey in the desert, it's oftentimes that we see, and we're going to see over these next couple of weeks, Things just weren't good enough for them. See, we think about the difference between crying out and complaining. Crying out is that deep lament. It's that place where we're saying, I need you. I cannot do this without you. It's what we were doing in that very last song we sung this morning. That was a song of crying out to God. That God, we need you in this move. We will follow you. We will obey you. We will walk where you take us, but we trust you to move. We need you. We can't do it. Complaining, we often complain. The mindset behind our complaints is often from a standpoint of, I deserve better than what I'm getting. That's typically our mindset when we begin to complain because we think that what we're getting isn't good enough. If crying out is our expression to God, then what we're saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you as a loving father. I trust you as someone who does care about what I'm going through. I trust you as someone who is concerned about my struggles. And I trust you even when the response isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to continue to cry out. When we complain, we're saying to God, God, this is how you need to respond. This is what you need to do. 
I don't think you're responding the way you should respond. So here's the thing. Every one of us are going or are going to go through tough times and struggles in our life. We're going to face a season where our faith is challenged. The question is, how will we respond? I want to encourage us today to respond by crying out to God. Be cautious not to complain about what you're facing and complain that God's not working the way you think he ought to be working, but continue to cry out to God as he's the only one who can help you in what you're facing, that you need him through everything, that your hope is not in any other source, but him. So what, what has you feeling like you're lost in a desert today? What is it that makes you feel like you're wandering, you're moving around? You're not getting anywhere in your struggle. Your desert may be a place of unanswered questions about things that you're facing right now. You may be facing things and you can't figure out where it's leading, what's going on, why. You may even be wondering, how am I supposed to respond to this? Or how am I supposed to get out of it? The how you're supposed to respond is by crying out. You may have unanswered questions, but I can promise you the one thing you know is you need to cry out to God. Maybe your desert is a place that has to do with your work. You don't feel like you you feel any sense of purpose in your work. You don't feel like you feel any sense of joy in your work. You're wondering, what is, what, what am I doing? You're facing constant difficulties in work and you're wondering, God, am I here for a reason? Do you have me here facing these things for a reason? What are you calling me to? Maybe your difficulty is your finances. You're wondering how you're gonna make that next bill payment. And you're struggling in that area. Maybe the struggle is in your health and you've just received a report and this has placed you in a place of turmoil in your mind and in your heart and your life. Maybe it's loneliness. There's people around, but you don't feel connection and you feel lonely no matter where you are. I want you to know today that God knows your difficult situation. And God is concerned about your struggle. Cry out to him. Cry out to God. And don't quit crying out. Don't quit crying out. God may be talking to your Moses right now behind the scenes and you don't realize it. Don't quit crying out. Don't don't quit crying out whenever the rescue or the way out isn't exactly what you thought it would be. It's taking longer. It's a little more difficult. God may be taking you that way for a purpose. He's rescuing you from something even more difficult. Trust in this every time, all the time. God is concerned about your struggle. He is concerned about what you're going through. He's concerned about what you're facing. And God wants to walk with you through your desert. 
the night before his death, we've said this countless times, Jesus himself cried out to God. He cried out to his father. Rescue me, free me from this. If there's another way, let that other way be. But instead, he faced his struggle. He faced his suffering. He faced his desert moment for us. He endured it for all of mankind to be freed through that. See, Jesus' suffering on the cross, it may not tell you why you're going through specifically what you go through, but Jesus' suffering and his rescue on that cross will tell you what that is not. He'll tell you you're not going through that because God does not love you. The cross shows you that he does. See, as we read this scripture, as we go through this whole book and we see things that have happened throughout history with God's people through this, as we hear stories of how God has worked in people's life all the time, we can see that there is no promise that even when you follow God, that stuff's going to happen. But the truth is that when you follow God, God strengthens you and he gives you the peace and he gives you what you need to get through the stuff that's happening. God strengthens you and God works through you. See, what Jesus knew, what God knew was that the, the whole reason for our suffering, the whole reason for every struggle, the whole reason for every difficult situation that we face in this life is sin. We live in a corrupt world. Everything we face is rooted in sin. It's the corruption, it's the corruption that's been brought on this world through sin. And so what God did was he rescued us and redeemed us at the root through the cross and our freedom in Jesus from sin. And when we redeem that, when we rescue that, when, when we take that rescue on in our heart and our life, then we begin to can see exactly what James is saying. When he said in James chapter one, again, verse two, he said, When those difficulties come and those situations come, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? The next verse he tells us in verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When you're going through that place where your faith is challenged, God is building your emotional fortitude to give you the strength that you need to face every struggle that might come. And you can always go back and look at the cross of what Jesus did. Jesus faced his struggle knowing that on the other side of that was the joy of redemption for every man and every woman. And like James says, we can face every struggle as an opportunity of joy knowing that on the other side of that struggle is joy seeing what God is doing in our life and what God wants to do through us for someone else in this life. So in the middle of your challenged faith, how will you respond? Stand with me this morning. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for always being with us, God. We thank you for being with us, Father, even when we don't see it. 
just like you were with the Israelites, Father. You were in the behind the scenes working the redemption, working the deliverance. God, you're doing that in our life. And we thank you for that today. So, Father, I just pray today that when we go through a time of challenged faith, God, I just ask today in the name of Jesus that you would move in us to cry out to you. Convict us when we complain. And our heart and our mindset is more of an entitled faith than it is a faith that needs you. God, let us cry out to you. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.